You are listening to Lockdown, a security and technology podcast brought to you by Voxiferi Broadcasting. Subscribe now to this and other Voxiferi shows via your podcast client of choice. Lockdown, a security podcast from Red Hat. Recorded at Cloud Security Expo 2016. Recording at Cloud Security Expo in London. Sitting opposite me is Mika Hipponen from F-Secure. He's the old man of security, 25 years into a tenure at F-Secure. Before the internet was even fledgling, Mika was trying to define and help us understand what potential risk was going to look like through the advent of worms, through computer viruses, assisting governments, being Mr. Angry on stage. A couple of years ago, I was in Edinburgh at LinuxConf. You were very angry then. Oh, yes. For a good reason. That was in the middle of the Snowden revelations. And, and, and the outrage was very real about how all the technology we use around the world, like everybody around the world is using technology from the United States, which is a problem because we foreigners have no rights when we use technology. And I suppose I'm not really angry at at, uh, at that. I'm angry at how Europe seems to be unable to innovate. The goddamn web was invented here in Europe. Where are all the European technology companies and the startups and and and? How come most of the sites and services you use always are from the United States? And when do we when, when do we when we get the occasional rare European success story, then it's typically sold to American company pretty much immediately. If you listen to Udo Helmbrecht or Neddy Cruz from Anisa, they'll tell you that Europe's a healthy place to do business on the internet. Well, I hope it is, and I, I hope this is getting better. And I actually do have some hope when I go to different startup events. For example, the Slush event, which is hosted in, in, in Finland, is now the largest startup event in, in Europe. And I look at young people, actually, that, that gives me hope. And, and the fact that many of these young people are not doing the, the standard thing, which is that the first thing you do is that, is, is that you move to Silicon Valley and then you start your startup there. They actually are starting them here. And that gives me hope. I'm going to ask you a question. It's going to, I probably won't throw you, but I want to see the vein pop out on your forehead. Container security. No. What do you want to know? <laughs> well, you know... We are being led by developers who don't understand how to build security into applications, who are using the latest, greatest nightly builds of every development environment on the planet. And then they're provisioning and deploying this stuff to the cloud and hoping that, you know, we're not going to catch fire. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it is the latest buzzword. And there's always been these different hypes in, in development environments and, and in security. Um, you know, APT hype just went and now we're in the, in the new... I don't know, container security might be the next big thing, or strike back technology. Um, but in the end, uh, what I find is that you know everything old is new again. We, we keep running into the same kind of problems. For example, you know, social engineering has always been one of the main problems we run into, and I suppose we will be running into that for forever. Um, I just did my keynote here at Cloud Expo, and, and I, I gave three examples of the kinds of problems we thought we already solved, but which actually came back. For example, macro malware which was problem number one in 1995-1996, and we killed it in 1997 when Microsoft released Office 97, which turned macros off by default. Mm-hmm. And what do you know? It's back. I mean, what, that's one of the main mechanisms ransom trojans are being distributed sure. today. So, so uh, yeah, container security, that's the latest password, but it's, no, 
that that fate will pass. I did a couple of podcasts at RSA conference talking about ransomware. It seems to be prevalent and on the radar of most American CISOs, but not really in Europe yet. Yeah, well, they will find out when they get burned. Um, uh, ransomware, unlike most other modern malware, is is actually now more and more distributed in email. So, um, we we're getting out of the world of, of web exploit kits because you know Flash is dying, and Flash was the main mechanism of infecting through web exploit kits. And we seem to be moving into a world where they go back to email and email attachments using Word, Excel, PowerPoint slides, and and uh, having macros in them, and uh, that might actually explain the geographical difference because when you're doing spamming, spamming out your, your malware, you're, you're using mailing lists. So it might just be focused on .com mailing lists, which are mostly in the United States, mm-hmm. and they just haven't been using .co.uk mailing lists, for example, but they will. So, so this is uh, an example of a problem where many companies don't really prepare themselves, and, and it's sort of like buying insurance after your house has burnt down. They will learn the hard way. You stand on stage and look out into the audience of well, the blood draining out of people's faces usually when you're ranting. But when you look out into the audience and do you find that it's a lot of CISOs who are being educated or do you find it's the CISOs and developers who are going back and educating the CISOs? It completely depends on the event. Um, I've actually done lately quite a few briefings for, um, you know, CTO-level people and people like that. And and this clearly is becoming a board-level issue. We've had so many large-scale uh, hacks or data leaks, you know, Ashley Madison's and the Sony Universal things. So it, it is it is clearly a board-level issue. They might not understand in the board what really is happening, but they are concerned, and that's good enough. That means that decisions get made and, and things should be getting better. And I hope things really are getting better. If you look at the little bit longer term, you look at where we were 10 years ago and you look at where we are today, clearly things are improving. Clearly security is getting better. In fact, we would be in great shape with today's technology if we would still be fighting the enemy we had 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we're not fighting that enemy. The enemy is changing all the time, and, and that's why we still have problems. But you talk about this in your digital arms race talk, you know, and the people who we're fighting now, a lot of the people we haven't if you talk if you talk to the executives out there they still don't know who they're fighting mm, yeah that's true and and i whenever we go to clients and do audits or penetration tests or any kind of help we can provide them with we start with threat assessments like you know, who should you really be worrying about we don't care who you worry about you're typically worrying about the wrong thing let's find out what is your real threat like who really would be interested in your data and that's completely different for different kinds of organizations. I mean, one organization really does have to worry about foreign nation states coming after their information. But if you are a local pizza place, you don't have to worry about foreign nation states. They're not interested in your pizza recipes, no matter how good they are. So when you do the threat assessment first, then you can spend your limited resources and limited budgets in the right place. I was playing around with your new threat management suite the other day. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. Oh, yeah, it is. And we actually have a whole range of new products coming out. We have a vulnerability scanner we just released. We have a APT product coming out. We have an IoT hardware device for home users securing their devices. So, yeah, company's changing, and we are uh, innovating new stuff, which is always exciting. So for a company which came from small Finnish roots, I mean, you've expanded globally. I think that, you know, security is one of those areas where there's negative unemployment at the minute. There's not enough of us to go around, but we need the best tools and technology to do our jobs. Mm-hmm. There is job security in security. However, if you want 
a long-term prediction. I predict eventually we will all be out of jobs, including not just security people, but programmers. And this is something I've been... I mean, somebody asked me, like, why do we have all these vulnerabilities in our systems? Why can't we get rid of the vulnerabilities? So I started thinking about it. Okay, why do we have them? Well, we have them because we have bugs, right? A bug on internet-connected system is a vulnerability, or can be, typically is. All right, so how do we get rid of bugs? Well, bugs are there because people write these programs and people make mistakes. They've always made mistakes. They always will make mistakes. Programmers make mistakes. Those become bugs, which become vulnerabilities. So how do we get rid of programmers? Well, we have to develop a program. Which programs? And you can sort of imagine that this is, I mean, you're a programmer yourself. You could write a program which writes programs. I've actually written a program which writes programs. Those programs absolutely sucked, but they did compile. So, you know, you can do that. So you can imagine that I would stop everything else and just focus on making that a better program and spend 10 years at it. And it's writing fairly good programs. And I keep honing it for 20 years. And then one day it becomes as good a programmer as I am. And that's the last day I have to program anything at all. In fact, it's the last day... Any programmer anywhere has to program anything at all. Every single programmer is instantly out of job. Because that, that but you can say that. You've done 25 years at FSQ. You're ready already for your retirement clock. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm hoping for. So, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I've always wondered that what should I do? If we solve all these problems, would I go back to writing games, which is what I used to do when I was younger? But, of course, if you would have this perfect AI programmer, nobody would need to be writing games either because you would write much better games. Are you still collecting all the vintage stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah. Although I've uh, expanded into some modern stuff. I'm actually, I bought my brand new, my first brand new, new in crate pinball last year. Wow. Delivered straight from the factory. Metallica pinball. Oh, I can tell you, when you open up a crate which has a brand new unplayed pinball and you have this envelope which you open which has four virgin pinballs which have never been played and you put them in the play field and you boot it up. Oh, man. Talk to me about your two building blocks, privacy and security. These are two bugbears of yours that we do not tend to enshrine or understand to the best of our abilities. I think we've lost the war on privacy already. We haven't lost the war on security yet. I, I, I refuse to accept that. I think we can still win that war. But for privacy, I think it's already a lost cause, sadly, a lost cause, which is a little bit, maybe a little, little bit even, even too pessimistic, considering that we, for example, sell privacy products even today. But what I mean is that we've already grown up a whole generation of people um, who, who lived all their life in the world where Internet exists. They don't remember time before Internet or before Google or before Wikipedia. And we've taught them that in the real world you pay for content with money, but in the online world you pay for content with privacy. Yeah. That's the way it works, and that's what they assume, and that's too late for us to change for them anymore because they, that's the, they assume that this is the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very hard to change it anymore. And that is sort of sad. And, and you know, we are the first people in mankind's history whose whole life can be tracked from start to finish. Like, where are we? Who do we communicate with? What do we communicate about? What does it mean? Well, nobody has an idea. We, we don't really know what it means, but it's going to change us as, as, as humans. For those listening to the podcast, I totally recommend that you go and catch up with at least the last 36 months of everything that Mika has said on stage. What's your diary like for the next few months traveling-wise? Where are you going to be? I'll be in New, jo- New York and New Orleans and Tokyo and Newcastle. Newcastle, that's where I'm from. All right. Yeah, I'll be there for the Thinking Digital in three weeks or something. Don't like drink that. the water. Uh, I'll drink the Newcastle ale. Brown, Newcastle brown ale. Don't drink the water. <laughs> or shake hands with any but local people. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. They're all, they're all, they all come from Viking stock. They're all Norwegians. 
Really? All right. Well, we like the Norwegian. We hate the Swedes. We like the Norwegian. Mika, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you very much. Subscribe with iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast client now for more shows in our back catalog. We'll be right back.